Good Friday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. A pleasure to connect with you guys through the I Love Seville network on a show today that's presented by Castle Hill Cider and the 231 Festival. 231 Fest, guys, is a party of family size proportions. The event, Saturday, June 10th at Castle Hill Cider in Keswick. The 231 Fest is a benefit for the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank, food trucks, beer tastings, cider tastings, wine tastings, live music, arts and crafts for children, a family setting, and the palatial, beautiful Castle Hill Estate, June 10th, a Saturday. Get your tickets now to the 231 Fest. Look at the screen for today's headlines. Dominion Energy. When is the last time you've seen a company of Dominion Energy's wealth and influence and reach and monopolistic power write an op-ed about an active politician or elected official? I found this fascinating. Dominion Energy, specifically its senior vice president for corporate affairs, Bill Murray, wrote a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight paragraph op-ed, a letter to the editor about Sally Hudson. I found this so fascinating. I'm going to read this letter in totality to you and get your take. Dominion Energy literally doing political strategy and PR and, 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 and counterintelligence and countermaneuvering against an active politician in the Commonwealth. That topic on today's show. We'll talk VCU Health. Early this week, I let you know that VCU Health was breaking a lease, a 25-year commitment <coughs> that was going to cost the school $617 million. $73 million to break a $617 million lease. The shady part was the, the, the hidden nature of it. This story didn't come up until a FOIA request from Richmond BizSense uncovered that essentially Virginia Commonwealth University was doing this payout. Well, Richmond BizSense is really digging deep into this story now, and they have found that that $73 million is light. In fact, that number is closer to $80 million, and why it's closer to $80 million is because of the following. VCU Health had commitments to pay for planned demolition of the site. VCU Health had commitments for past and future real estate tax payments. VCU had a number of uh, health, had a number of commitments that uh, flew under the radar earlier this week, and it looks like that number is now over 80 million and counting. We'll talk about that on the program. I also want to talk about Coupe de Ville's reopening after two years. We'll introduce you to Elizabeth and Guy Pelly of Mary Mill Farm, and we asked them the question that Today Imanana team did, why did they buy Feast in the Purple Building? We'll play your answer for you today. I want to welcome Judah Wickhauer to the show, and I want to welcome Keith Smith to the program. How are we going to welcome uh, the distinguished gentleman today, Judah? Uh, let's see. Keith, how are you doing over there, buddy? You doing great? You got him on screen? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, you're using this camera. Well, I guess we're going to have to put him on a two-shot then, huh? Let's see. Or on the uh, studio camera so we can see hot air, Keith. 
and then we'll get you on a two shot because we got to get into the topics uh, that matter today. Hot air, Keith, is on screen? Yeah. There it is. Judah Wickard drew that. Well done, Judah. You're a man of many talents. I wish we had a close-up of that. Can we use the crystal ball camera as a close-up, or is that not plugged in? I'd have to plug it in. Okay, no sweat, no sweat. Let's go to the two-shot. I'm going to read the uh, op-ed, okay? Mm. I'm curious of viewers and listeners what you think of this. This is a letter to the editor from Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Dominion Energy, Bill Murray. Here's the headline. Delegate Sally Hudson ought to look at her own donors. Here's what he writes. In a May 11th article... Deeds Hudson bashed Dominion at legislative rundown. Delegate Sally Hudson once again repeated misleading claims about Dominion Energy's involvement in Virginia politics. It's time to set the record straight. As Delegate Hudson knows, by far the largest political donor in Virginia is hedge fund billionaire Michael Bills, and the largest donor to Sally Hudson's campaign is Mr. Bills' wife, Sonia Smith. In the last year, Mr. Bills, Ms. Sonia Smith, and their political action group have together donated three times more than our entire company, Dominion, mostly to candidates of one party, Democrats. That's nearly $12 million, and they've promised to spend millions more. Unlike our donations to members of both parties, Mr. Bills' donations come with strings attached. Dominion Energy participates in the political process because we represent millions of customers and thousands of employees who depend on us for reliable, affordable, and clean energy. Who does hedge fund billionaire Michael Bills represent? Like most companies, we contribute to candidates from both parties in support of common sense policies that benefit our customers. In the most recent Virginia General Assembly session, for example, We spearheaded bipartisan legislation that promised significant savings for our customers. The legislation received broad support from environmental and consumer advocates, including Delegate Hudson. Just last week, we delivered on the legislation's promise and announced up to $14, yes, $14, in monthly savings for our customers beginning July 1. In conclusion... At the same time, we announced our long-term plans to strengthen electric reliability and increase clean energy, including the largest offshore wind project in North America and one of the most ambitious solar expansions in the U.S. Regardless of party, these are priorities and policymakers should support. Rather than focus on empty rhetoric to score points with hedge fund billionaire donors, let's focus on bipartisan solutions that deliver affordable, reliable, and clean energy to Virginians. Bill Murray, Dominion Energy. That's scathing. That is scathing. Hudson attacks Dominion, and now Dominion Energy, the monopoly, attacks Mm. Hudson. Dominion Energy links Hudson to Sonia Smith. I'm going to cut to the chase. You can get this information yourself on vpap.org vpap.org Sonia Smith in all filing years for Sally Hudson every filing year every year that she's filed um, uh, a campaign finance report Sonia Smith has donated nearly a quarter million dollars to Sally Hudson the next largest donor is the Clean Virginia Fund at 35k and I believe Michael Bills runs the Clean Virginia Fund in fact I know he does Michael Bills 10k 
So if you look at Sally Hudson since she's run for office, mm -hmm. she's gotten $213,913 from Sonia Smith. Call that $214,000 from Sonia Smith, okay? $214,000. She's gotten thirty-five dollars from the Clean Virginia Fund, which is Michael Bills. And then she's gotten an additional $10,000 from Michael Bills himself. $259,000 of her campaign funding has come from these people. That's the large chunk of it, ladies and gentlemen. So here's how I want to unpack this for you. I want to unpack it the following ways. Should we be limiting how much one person or one entity can donate to a campaign? Should there be a cap? Okay? That's the one thing I, I want to ask. Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to ask, how do folks feel about donations from Dominion? Dominion's obviously influencing Richmond with donations to both sides of the aisle. How does someone feel about Sonia Smith impacting this election like she's doing? And what do you feel about the tactics that Dominion's doing with that op-ed? Anywhere you want to go. <coughs> I mean, uh, generally speaking, yeah, I think there should be a cap. And uh, I'd not even, not even all that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm not a big fan of donations to begin with. I mean... Well, that's how they have to fund their campaign. They have, you have yeah. to have donations to fund a campaign. I know. I get that. How else are they going to do a campaign? I'm just saying. We all know where it goes. Yeah, we, it goes to signs, branding, websites, literature, that's not what I'm talking pamphlets. About. Uh, anyways. How else is someone going to fund a campaign if they don't get money from people? I'm just saying that looking at things like this and the history of campaigns and campaign finances, the whole thing, you know, to the average American is pretty shady. And when you look at things like, uh, you know, just look at this uh, op-ed where the, the guy is talking about millions going to one particular party and... Then you take a look at the uh, you take a look at the Dominion, who's writing this, and yes, they can you know they can make arguments that they're that they're making donations to both sides of the aisle. But the question is, what uh, what are they what are they getting from that? Influence. That, yeah. Political influence. Right. Hundred percent. They're getting political influence. And that's the problem with donations. I don't care that somebody needs to buy signs. I mean, I appreciate the fact, but if all the people donating are donating for... I mean, that's the whole reason anyone donates is influence. I mean, why, like, I mean, just out of curiosity, we're just having a conversation. It's like, why would someone donate to a political campaign? Because they want to say that they have a little bit of influence over that candidate. Because they help that candidate get into office. That's why anyone donates. Or because they support a candidate's platform and they want that platform to see, to potentially become a reality. Dominion's clearly donating for influence. I would say Michael Bills and Sonia Smith are clearly donating for influence. But what can be done about this? Maybe capping how much someone can donate. Maybe you consider doing that. But I don't see 
either Cree Deeds or uh, Sally Hudson talking about capping how much an individual can donate to a campaign. Right. And, and Cree has certainly taken money from Dominion. No question about that. What I found, what I found intriguing with this storyline is you got a company writing a scathing letter to the editor um, about a active and, and, and sitting politician, Sally Hudson. You don't see that that often. Deep Throat says, Dominion versus Sonia Smith. I'm reminding of what Kissinger said about the Iran-Iraq war. It's a pity they both can't lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a dogfight race there. Of course they're expecting something in return. Thank you, Jonathan. We'll make copies. We're doing the show. Thank you. Cool. Good to see you. Um, our contractor outside in the hallway. You don't, want me, you don't want me to make the copies? He's going to leave them. We'll make copies. He just slid them under the door. We'll okay. make copies and give them back to him. Thank you, Jonathan. I don't think people truly understand. Well, some people do. I don't think everyone truly understands the influence that this power couple. These are kingmakers. Bills and Smith. They are kingmakers. Mm. They're funding campaigns and getting people into office. Huge funding for Katrina Coulson's delegate campaign from Sonia Smith. I mean, I think we're talking potentially... I, this website is so easy to use. I just have to click her name, and I can figure out who's donated to whom. VCU's going to do $80 million plus to break a lease now? I still am okay with them doing this to save $617 million. Yeah. That number is now over 80 because the initial number of 73 didn't include the real estate taxes they're still on the hook for. And not, it did not include some future demolition that they're on the hook for. Well, the future demolition was to get ready to build the site. Right. And future real estate taxes. Yeah, the demolition that happened should have been included in the 73 price because they already paid that money to build the project. And it wasn't included initially. Hmm. So it's getting worse, the price tag, for VCU Health. Yeah. But I still have no problem with $80 million to break to save $617 million. The only beef I have is how they handled it. Yeah. I still wouldn't have had a problem if they said, we're, gonna, we're in the whole $80 million for this. Yeah. You? No, I, I agree with you on both of those points. That uh, when it comes to, uh, what is it, the, uh, the sunk cost fallacy? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, of course I do. Where, uh, where basically uh, you convince yourself that uh, you should be throwing good money after bad money uh, just because you've already spent the bad money. And uh, this isn't quite the same, but I think it fits the same bill. And it's basically along the lines of, look, we've made this agreement. Do we go ahead with this, like, whatever, 600,000, what is it? 617 million over 25 years. Exactly. Do we go ahead with that because we've already started? Or do we cut our losses right now and pay what we have to pay and get out of, you know, what's no longer... Uh, a deal that works in our favor. Yeah. The only thing they did wrong was the PR piece. The sunk cost fallacy, a perfect example of a sunk cost fallacy is you you go to a movie, you pay for a ticket, the movie sucks, it still has an hour left, 
but you said, oh, I pay for a ticket and I'm an hour in, so I'm just going to stay for the remaining hour, even though I hate this movie. Another example of the sunk cost fallacy, you're playing poker and you're pot committed. You yeah. make it through the first and second blinds, you make it through the, the flop, and you've bet strong. And then you get to the turn on the river and you realize you have no chance at winning. But you stay in the pot because you are pot committed. The sunk yeah. cost fallacy. A good example of the sunk cost fallacy here locally in Charlottesville City. Keith Woodard on Water Street had a million plus in underground infrastructure for the development that he was going to do for the city market. He was going to build a project on Water Street. Over a million bucks in underground infrastructure. He walked away from the project because he could not deal with city council at the time. He chose to walk away from a million plus because the course of action was better walking away than staying with that project. These are examples of sunk cost fallacy. The only thing VCU did terribly was not be upfront about it. Was not beating the press in the media to the story. Yeah. When it came up through a freedom of information act request from Richmond Bissense, it looked like they were trying to hide it. Yeah. You just manage the story. That's the lesson learned here. All right, next topic, my friend, as you're managing the lower thirds, if you could on screen. Um, this is a warms your heart kind of story. One of the bars that I went to as a UVA student, Coupe de Ville's, as an undergrad, it was one of the easy bars to get into. They were really light on checking your IDs back on, back on the day. I mean, anything that pretty much had your birthday on it, you could get into this bar. <laughs> Coupe de Ville is a fantastic bar. A fantastic outside patio. Benny Dodd used to play there on Tuesday nights, get all the, all, all the uh, guys and gals singing to songs that he would sing on their back porch. They had $2 burgers on Mondays. Just a fantastic bar. Well, folks, two years ago, Coupe de Ville's a kitchen fire. Literally two years, this corner institution has been closed. Yeah. And COVID has slowed down the reopening of Coupe de Ville's because of supply chain issues, because of labor issues, because yeah. kitchen supplies, you couldn't figure out where to purchase them or they were months behind on an ordering standpoint. So it's been two years since this damn bar, a popular corner bar has been open. Well, this past Tuesday evening, Coupe de Ville's had a surprised concert for fourth years only. From 8 p.m. to 12 a.m., Coupe de Ville sold tickets for $20 each. They sold out in one minute. These tickets. Live music, the Back Porch Project, this past Tuesday, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m., Coupe de Ville sold a couple hundred tickets for $20 each, and they sold out in under a minute. Now, we don't have any indication if this is a permanent reopening for this corner institution, hmm. but after two years, this past Tuesday night, it opened its doors for a couple hundred fourth years to get nostalgic and to have a good time. And that right there is something to talk about on this show. Have you ever been to Coupe de Ville's? Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been on the patio for, uh, I think it was a, I don't remember if it was a, if it was a, not karaoke, but uh, open mic night, or if it was just a... Uh, I doubt they did open mic night there. It was, I think it was someone that, I, that did open mic night at uh, back when, um, what was, uh, what was the, what was the Mexican place on the corner? Baja Bean? Yeah, Baja Bean. It was, I think it was a guy that, uh, 
that did. You're talking about the guy that did karaoke with the goatee that passed away. I don't think they had karaoke at. Uh, he also did open mic night. I don't that's think not, they did karaoke over mic what, night at Coop That's not what I'm talking about. That's the guy who did open mic night at Bahabi. It, no, it wasn't the guy. It wasn't the guy running the show. It was a guy that that sang. King George. Is that a person? Yes. He sung open mic at Baja Bean, often known commodity among music circles and karaoke and open mic communities here locally. Probably your most known karaoke commodity locally is King George. Gets dressed up as a king before performing karaoke at I local bars. Don't think he Wears was... a crown and a king's cape, King George does. Don't think he was... Don't think he was doing open mic night when I was when I was going there. This probably would have okay. Been... So you've been to Coops though, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was, it had a nice uh, had a nice patio. If you could joy. bring back any corner bar, which would it be? If I could bring back any corner bar, um, I I'd, I'd have to say I'm partial to uh, to Baja Bean because I used to I used to go there for for open mic and and I would draw the uh, open mic participants. Open mic or karaoke? Open mic. Okay. Yeah. Because they're basically, they're the same thing. You realize that? They're not even close to the same thing. What are you talking about? An open mic, they're singing lyrics that are put on the screen in front of them, are they not? No. What are they singing? Whatever they want to. Some people sing their own songs. So the open mic, they're coming with their instruments and playing the guitar? Yeah, or whatever. There was a guy that had a mandolin. I mean, he was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Would some uh, people sing without music playing? It would just be vocals? Probably. I mean, I don't remember exactly what everybody was playing or singing, but there was a guy that played mandolin. There was a guy that, uh, there was a guy that busted, I think he busted two strings in the middle of a song and finished. That was pretty epic. And uh, just a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of good people there. Baja Beam was awesome. Yeah. Baja Bean was awesome. Friend of the program, Shane Reed, married the face of Baja Bean, Stacy, who was the general manager of Baja Bean. She was the bartender. She would routinely sing karaoke. They met at Baja Bean, Shane and Stacy. I was there when they met. They then had three boys live in Florida together. The Reeds are very much missed. Um, I miss Baja Bean as a UVA corner bar. I also miss St. Martin's quite a bit. I've been, Mar- I've been in there, but I don't think I've eaten there. St. Martin's was there. awesome. Uh, a bar with no windows. There, who could name a bar in the city of Charlottesville that's active right now that has no windows? Can you name one? Name one bar in the city of Charlottesville right now that has no windows. St. Martin's was one of them. There's still one. I know it right now. Do you know it? Viewers and listeners, can you name a bar in the city of Charlottesville that has no windows? Put it in the feed. We'll send you a sticker if you get that right. But St. Martin's was one of them. I miss St. Martin's. I had a, a silver mug that hung at St. Martin's. Hmm. Um, I had, uh, they knew the beer that I liked when I would walk into St. Martin's. I often tell the story of Frank, who worked the cashier, worked the, uh, the, uh, the register at Little John's, flipping coins to people at St. Martin's. I miss St. Martin's. Johnny Ornalis, you get the sticker. That's the only bar I can think of in the city of Charlottesville right now that does not have a window. Dirty Nellie's. 
Can anyone else think of a bar in the city of Charlottesville that does not have a window? Send Johnny Ornalis a sticker if you could. Send him a DM, a direct message with his mailing address so we can mail him an I Love Seville sticker. Johnny, Johnny definitely deserves one. In fact, let's mail him a couple. Kevin Higgins, Bob Yarborough, you're exactly right. Oh, Kevin Higgins, that's a great question. Does the alley light have a window? That's a great question. Anyone? Remember. Does the alley light have a window? I don't remember seeing one. What about, uh, what about Library Stable? I think Library Stable. Does Library Stable have a window? Livery Stable, right? Sure. Alley Light. Does Alley Light, that's a great question, if the Alley Light has a window. I, wanna, I, I now want to see that. Hmm. I miss Bartens. I mean, which ones do you guys miss of years past? Livery stable, I'm looking at it. Uh, I don't know if that has a window. Yeah, livery stable has a window. I'm looking at it. Livery stable has windows. Really? That one does, yep. I'm looking inside at a Google image. It's got a window. Alley light's a good question. Uh, Johnny Ornalis says alley light has one. Uh, Carol Thorpe says, if I invited you both to attend a local karaoke night, would you both sing? Hmm. And she also says, most open, night, open mic singers accompany themselves some, with some kind of instrument, but few may sing a cappella. Some may also read original poetry or even do a comedy routine. Karaoke is only singing to pre-recording tracks with lyrics on screen. Yeah. Um, Lost Saint, damn good one, Vanessa Parkell. Lost Saint does not have a window. Are you that's, sure? That's would, the speakeasy below Tavern and Grocery. I would swear they've got windows up high at the top of the wall. That are blacked out with that black curtain? Uh, I mean, the last time I was there was when we were taking pictures. And I swear I I'm remember. I'm going to text. Now, Andy doesn't own it anymore. The owner of Lost Saint is um, Miss Sieg. Why am I drawing a blank? Ashley, Ashley Sieg Williams owns Lost Saint and Tavern and Grocery. Annie McClure used to own it. Hey, Andy, let me text him. Random question. I'm literally texting Andy McClure this. Does Lost Saint have a window? Let's see what he says. He may text me back. That's a great question. Great, uh, great one, Vanessa Parkhill. I'm going to ask the former owner of Lost Saint if Lost Saint has a window. I literally just texted him. Let's see what he says. He generally is quick to respond if he's not traveling. He said, uh, Kevin Yancey says the mine shaft did not have a window. The mine shaft was just before my time. I got here in 2000 right at the tail end of tracks. I saw a couple of shows at tracks in 2000. And then tracks closed. Uh, Bob Yarborough confirms livery stable does. Yeah, I'm seeing on Google image those long, narrow windows at the ceiling. You're exactly right. Does Lost Saint Bob Yarborough have a window? Do you know? We know Dirty Nellie's does not. And Johnny Ornalis has confirmed that the alley light does, in fact, have a window. But I am not certain about Lost Saint. You seem to remember it does have one. Yeah. You would reopen Baja. I, you know what, now that I have so many good memories at St. Martin's and so many good memories at Baja, those two are missed. Yeah. Those two are very much missed. 
I mean, if you think about it, what other iconic bars on the corner have closed over the last 20-some years? Orbit's turned to Boylan Heights. Right. O'Neill's turned to Trinity. Mm-hmm. Buddhist Biker Bar turned to Crozet Pizza Buddhist Biker Bar. But the Virginian's the same. The Biltmore's the same. Coupe de Ville's have been closed for two years for a fire. Just reopened for a fourth-year extravaganza this past Tuesday. I mean, Hold on. a lot of the same, a lot of the known commodities are the same. I'm looking at a picture of the uh, bar staff at uh, Lost Saint with windows above them. Oh, you are? So you've confirmed? Yeah. Is that a photo that you took? Yeah. It is? Can you put it on screen? Yeah. Is that on Google, Google Image? I don't know what you'd have to Google to find it. But, so uh, Lost Saint does have windows. Yeah, let's see. And the reason people don't see it is because they pull those curtains over them. Okay. Yeah, Vanessa Parkhill, Lost Saint has windows. Okay. Let me just... So that means the only bar in the city of Charlottesville that does not have any windows is Dirty Nellie's. Because Johnny's confirmed, and I trust Johnny, Johnny's confirmed Alley Light, and now we've confirmed Lost Saint has it. So it's only Dirty Nellie's. That's a trivia question, right? Yeah. A good bar with no windows. You put that photo on screen? Yeah. There, there it is. is. Thank you. Good job. Very good job. TJ's long before St. Martin's rocked. It had .05 drafts, nickel drafts. That's awesome. When was that? And Carol, you know if, if, you, if you bought the first round that I would be singing. You're 100% right, Carol. <laughs> Get a couple beverages in me, and I'm going to be singing like Don't Stop Believing next to you, Carol. My arm wrapped over your shoulder, screaming into the microphone. You know I would be doing that. You absolutely know me well enough to know I would be singing with you, Carol Thorpe. She wants to know if you would be singing. She's not convinced that you would sing. She basically just said, get a couple drinks into Jerry, and I know he's going to be doing it. Would you sing? And she's going to hold you to this. I think, what do you mean she's going to hold me to this? She basically wants to set up a karaoke date for us to karaoke with her at a local bar while we have some beverages. Where do you karaoke these days, Carol? Because the karaoke used to be at the Pizza Hut on West Main... But that Pizza Hut is now a ramen noodle place. The old Pizza Hut on West Main Street, that was the karaoke spot. Baja Bean was a karaoke spot. Baja Bean's no more. Where's karaoke? Legitimate question. Rapture. Ah, Rapture. Okay. Mm. I hear Sean Tubbs is a beast at karaoke at Rapture. Um, All right. I want to relay this to you guys. Um... Yesterday, we did a show called Today E Manana. The Erpies hosted. If you want to get this sizzle reel ready to go, J-Dubs. And they had on Today E Manana, Elizabeth and Guy Pelly. Why don't we rotate that lower third on screen as well? Elizabeth and Guy Pelly are the owners of Mary Mill Farm and Vineyard in Keswick. This place is awesome. I've been to this place a handful of times. It's in Keswick. It's very eclectic. It's very stylish. It's very fashionable. You can just tell that they have an eye for design and for cool and for memorable and for class, and they have taste. Mary Mill's beautiful. It's just a beautiful vineyard in Keswick. They also purchased Feast, the specialty grocery, 
in the purple building on West Main. That's the employer of Aaron King who watches this program. We love you, Aaron King. Aaron, are you watching right now? I, I had some very positive things to say about you, Aaron King, to um, Elizabeth and Guy yesterday. I just want you to know that. I relayed um, the success we had launching Commonwealth Skybar and how fabulous you are running businesses. I sincerely had that conversation. So Elizabeth and Guy purchased Feast. And the Erpies asked them yesterday, why did you buy Feast? You own Mary Mill. It hadn't been two years that you owned and running Mary Mill. Why did yeah. you buy this specialty grocery? Do you have that answer ready to rock and roll? Yeah. All right, so this sizzle reel is from yesterday's Today e Manana. I found this interesting. I found this interesting. That's why I want to play it for you. Let's cue it up in three, two, one. Have an interesting question. Why are feasts? Kind of go yeah. talk to us about kind of how you kind of plan on maybe incorporating them into marriage. Sure, Mark sure, Wong. I'd love to. Um, so the feast opportunity came to to my plate, um, and it wasn't the best best time to buy an, another business because mm -hmm. you know Mary Mill is still really new. We're just about to have our second anniversary, the end of this month, um, but it was an opportunity I had to take. It's um, such a wonderful institution. It really is. And I am finding that everybody loves Feast. Oh, and yeah. everybody's very attached to Feast. And there's, you know, every single person has some item on the menu or some item on the shelves that, you know, they can't live without. So um, I could, like, we could really see the synergies between Mary Mel and Feast. Um, and so it just really made sense. Uh, we've just started serving the Feast products at Mary Mel which is really mm. elevating our food experience at Marymount massively. Perfect. Yeah. So we've brought over some of the um, top, top sandwiches and then our sharing platters, which are pimento cheese, hummus, chicken salad. It's all coming from Feast. And people are loving it, and we've gotten great feedback. Um, and likewise, we want to sell our wine in Feast. Yeah, um, so right now we only sell out of our tasting room, so Feast would be you know, the first retailer. Um, I'm finding it's not as simple as just selling your wine in your shop. <laughs> You've got to go through a lot of red tape and licensing and permitting. Uh, is that so, like the ABC license? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so we haven't gotten there yet. It's, mm. We're still in the process of doing that. But, um, you know, and I think the brands make a lot of sense together, too. Mm -hmm. um, it's great quality. It's great taste. It's great curation. Um, and it just made sense. And so it was a big step and it was you know we were kind of like adding a whole nother thing onto our plate but well, nearly this one's it's funny i think lizzie thought i was crazy when i first said let's go out and do it. when this came on i was like yeah we're not going to do that are we and then lizzie was like i think it's a good idea i was like what this has been so much work and stress and whatever like this and you, you know and we've had a couple of babies in between this too yeah, yeah, so like it just keeps piling on you know i was like but i can't i'd be such a you know i can't tell you not to do it since i convinced you to yeah, do the but, first one i mean one, it's so. been a great so, yeah. since since i took over in january all of the staff at feast have stayed on under my leadership and they are wonderful. They're my most valuable asset. They know yeah. the business better than I do. And I'm learning it and loving it. And, um, you know, going to make some really positive improvements to, to an already really thriving, wonderful business. And it's, it's also, you know, marketing-wise, it's great for us. I mean, I've met a people I've met out at Mary Mill that have been like, we're out here because of Feast. Because we, we heard you, we hadn't actually heard of you, but we heard, obviously, we know Feast. 
And so, you know, and likewise, people yeah. go to yeah. Marymount and say, oh, I haven't been to Feast. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. a lot of cross-promotion that can be happening um, yeah. and, you know, growing of these two businesses together, which is, it's yeah. really interesting to have a very young business, Marymount, and then to come into this 21-year-old institution. So mm-hmm. it's totally different, but... Uh, but they work well together, and we're we're really excited about the synergies and and ways to um, grow these two businesses together. And, and it goes perfect. That's from today, manana yesterday on the I Love Seville Network. Michael and Xavier Erpi doing a hell of a job with um, entrepreneurs that I'm impressed with. Elizabeth and Guy Pelly. Mary Mill owners now carrying the torch and the legacy and the responsibility and the tradition that is the Feast brand. One of the things that stood out in that interview was the commitment the customers have to Feast. Elizabeth made a comment in the interview. She's like, there's something on the shelf that people really need in their lives. Like, you have stuff in this store where people come into and they count and rely on it being here because it's important to their diet or their meal planning or, or how, their quality of life. And I think Feast, and my hope is I Love Seville. I Love Seville turns, this business turns 15 years old in May, on the 29th of May. As businesses season and mature and gain traction and, and footing, they become a piece of the community. Like, they become an aspect of the neighborhood or the town. My hope is I Love Seville will eventually become like that, like Feast has become, where it's something that you, can, you, you know you can count on it, you know what to expect, you know it's going to be there for you, you know it's consistent. That's what my hope is we're becoming for you guys and why we're trying to do this show consistently each day. And it's hard because not every day you have something where you're passionate about talking about, but you still do it. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a lot of entrepreneurship and small business ownership. It's, it's showing up every day and being the same person every day and showing up. Anyway, I thought Michael and Xavier did a hell of a job yesterday. Uh, Kevin Yancey's making me smarter. He says, Bord, Bur, is it Boudos? Is that how I say it, Kevin? Bordeaux? The bar did not have a window. He said Curly's Garage did not have windows, and the Odyssey did not have windows. Adam's, another bar, did not have windows. So he's rattling off a few that did not have windows. And he said it used to be called TJ's long before St. Martin's. He's taking me way back, he says. He also said the rotisserie chicken um, at the Coupe de Ville spot back in the day was the best in town. Nice. I got here in 2000, so I... I'm going to celebrate my 23-year anniversary of living in the city of Charlottesville in August. At the end of August of this year, I will have lived in this city for 23 years. Nice. Proud to call it my home. Um, Anything else you want to throw out there? I love Earl Smith, Kevin Yancey. Love Earl. J-Dubs? Let's see. No, nothing right now. Bob Yarbrough says, my powers of observation are usually significantly diminished when I'm at Lost Saint. That's hilarious. <laughs> Lost Saint's fantastic. Um, all right, that's the talk show. 231 Festival. Get the lower third on screen if you could. This festival's pretty great, guys, especially if you have kids. We'll bring our boys to this festival at 231 Fest at Castle Hill. It's June 10th. It's a Saturday. Live music, beer, wine, cider, food trucks, 
crafts and artisan activities for kids. Castle Hill's got a huge piece of land that they can run around on. So you get a blanket, mom and dad can have a couple libations, and, and your kiddos can run around doing crafts or playing with the ball or listening to live music and having food from a food truck. I went last year, it's dynamite. It's the 231 Fest. It's June 10th, so it's less than a month away. It's fantastic. All right, for Judah Wickhauer, I'm Jerry Miller. It's the I Love Seville Show. So long.